Welcome to the Machine Learning and Data Science Papers On The Go podcast. Machine learning and data science are rapidly evolving fields, and it is my hope that this podcast can help you be better on top of the most recent and fascinating advancements. All right, welcome back uh, to the Machine Learning and Data Science Papers On The Go podcast. This episode is titled, Our Image Recognition Models Are Too Vulnerable, Strategies and Defenses Against Adversarial Attacks. This is episode number three. I'm so excited to be here, uh, to be here um, and I hope that uh, you enjoy the ride along with me. All right, so this time, this episode, we're going to be talking about adversarial attacks. Um, sort of as a primer, uh, researchers often, I think, have a problem of getting too wrapped in the closed world of theory and kind of perfect data sets. Unfortunately, chasing extra fractions of percentage points on accuracy is usually counterproductive to the real usages of image processing, which is in the real world. When algorithms and methods are designed with you know, kind of not very noisy, very predictable worlds of the data sets in mind, they uh, very well may actually perform poorly in the real world. Uh, and this certainly has shown to be the case. Uh, so we'll be talking about adversarial inputs or small changes to the input that uh, in- unintentionally or intentionally confuse uh, the, the image recognition model. For instance, in 2020, uh, the cybersecurity firm McAfee showed that Mobileye, uh, the car intelligence system used by Tesla and other auto manufacturers, could be fooled into accelerating 50 miles per hour over the speed limit just by plastering a strip of black tape two inches wide to the speed limit sign. Researchers from four other universities, including the University of Washington and UC Berkeley, found that road sign recognition models were completely fooled when introduced to a little bit of spray paint or stickers on stop signs. And these are all natural and uh, non-malicious alterations. If you think about altering the input to a neural network maliciously and intentionally, the results can be even worse. So I usually have a sort of a guiding question for each episode. And for this episode, it'll be this. How can a neural network be tricked into thinking that a picture of a panda is a picture of a gibbon, uh, which is sort of a, I'm not an animal expert here, but some sort of like ape or some sort of monkey when humans cannot tell the difference between the two images. So you show uh, humans two images. To the human eye, they are both pandas. To the deep learning algorithm though, one is a panda and one is a monkey. So this is obviously, I think, a very important question with very important ramifications for the application and deployment of artificial intelligence. Uh, So hopefully it is interesting. Uh, We're only going to be reviewing two papers in depth this time. Uh, as well as two more, so for a total of four, uh, but the other two are going to be covered a little, much more quickly. Uh, so we do have quite some content to go over. All right, our first paper is entitled Explaining and Harnessing Adversarial Examples by Ian J. Goodfellow, uh, Jonathan Schlenz, and Christian Shetty, I believe. Uh, apologies if I butchered those names. And this was a paper written in 2015. Um, So the discovery of adversarial examples, uh, which 
just to reiterate the definition, are malicious examples, malicious inputs that shouldn't trick the model, uh, but actually do end up tricking them, like the like confusing a panda with a gibbon. Uh, this discovery was recently uh, was pretty recent, uh, pretty abruptly in 2014. So this paper is being situated about one after about one year after the discovery um, of of this phenomenon. Adversarial examples. Uh, they propose may be exposing blind spots in our training algorithms. Uh, so I want to read this very interesting quote, I think, from their paper. It goes like this, begin quote. The cause of these adversarial examples was a mystery, and speculative explanations have suggested it is due to extreme nonlinearity of deep neural networks, perhaps combined with insufficient model averaging an insufficient regularization of the purely supervised learning problem. We show that these speculative hypotheses are unnecessary. Linear behavior in high dimensional spaces is sufficient to cause adversarial examples." End quote. So uh, what this is saying is that many have suggested that adversarial examples arise because of complexity uh, in neural networks and lack of uh, regularization. Well, actually, these uh, authors are proposing uh, in a much more uh, concrete and rigorous sense that we can actually find adversarial examples in the most regularized form of a model, which is the linear model. So the, I think their main contribution in this paper is the introduction of something called the fast gradient signed method. Uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be abbreviating it uh, as, FGS, uh, as uh, FGSM. So this is a really quick and simple way to screw up the network's predictions, uh, a very easy way to generate an adversarial example easily. And I think um, I think that it's important to, to go through this uh, FGSM method because I think it's it's good it's it's not it's simple and um, it's a good understanding. It gives you a good understanding for how to actually wrap your head around exactly what is an adversarial example. And even though later, I think, constructions of adversarial examples tend to be more complex, uh, the FGSM uh, tends to be a good primer for what adversarial inputs are. So there is a teeny bit of math here, uh, but stay with me. I think it's pretty interesting, incredibly valuable if you do uh, follow through with it. So let's begin by breaking down the fundamental linear model. Uh, simply put, it is a weight matrix multiplied by an input matrix. And um, just for each input, you multiply that input by an amount. And then you sum up all of these weighted inputs into one number. And that is the output of a linear model. Uh, basically, think of it like linear regression. Um, now, the question is, if we want to formalize our idea of an adversarial input, uh, we need to actually break down the input into two parts, the original input and then the perturb, and then the, the perturbation. And basically to perturb something is to change it slightly. So our perturbation uh, kind of matrix is simply uh, being added to the input matrix such that the input matrix gets uh, changed a teeny bit. So our objective basically is to find the perturbation matrix 
add it to the input matrix, uh, and then just follow through with the rest of the, of the linear model, where that perturbed input uh, gets multiplied by the weight matrix, and you sum everything up, and that's the output of the linear model. If the values in the perturbation matrix are very small, and we, if we can consider this to be like changes to an image, let's say, visually, there should be no effect on the image, right? You can imagine maybe with the images in, uh, with the pixels in an image, for every pixel you change it uh, a very small amount. To the human eye, it basically has no effect. But to the machine, the linear model, it has changed. So let us um, formalize this calculation a little bit more. This is essentially the weight matrix times the altered image, uh, which is the input plus the perturbation. We can distribute this as the weight matrix times the input matrix plus the weight matrix times the perturbation matrix. Uh, it's kind of like distributing A times B plus C equals A times B plus A times C. All we're doing is distributing the weight matrix across the original input and the perturbation. So the weight matrix times the input matrix is normal. That's the, that's the definition of a, of a linear model, basically. But what we're also adding is the weight matrix times the perturbation matrix. Recall that in a normal linear model, we're just getting the sum of all the elements of the weight matrix times the input matrix. And that sum determines the output of the model. So from the perspective of an adversarial attacker, you want to change that sum as much as possible to change the model output as much as possible. As the adversarial attacker, the only thing you want to do uh, is you want to change, the, the only thing that you can do is to change the calculation of the, of the perturbation matrix. So remember that we are technically adding the perturbation matrix to the input matrix first uh, before multiplying this perturbed altered matrix by the weight. But for the sake of understanding this in the calculation, we can distribute the weight matrix such that it is the weight matrix times the input matrix plus the weight matrix times the perturbation matrix. And we sum these two uh, kind of multiplications together to form the model's output. So this is a, functionally, this is the same as if we first altered the image input matrix by adding the perturbation matrix and then multiplying that entire perturbed image by the weights in the first place. Uh, I know that I've reiterated this a couple of times. But I think it's it can be a little bit difficult to wrap your head around, especially over audio. So I think this is a uh, an important point. All right, so now we've kind of reframed our objective in a more clear way. We want for the perturbation matrix times the weight matrix to form the largest sum possible. Why? Because when we add this perturbed sum to the kind of normal sum, where it's just the, just the weight matrix times the input matrix, uh, we want the output to be as different from the normal sum as possible. So we can actually get very far with just a pretty simple perturbation matrix consisting of just two very small values. Let's say that it is 0.1 and negative 0.1, right? So it's just 0.1, but one of them is positive and one of them is negative. And now consider a very short list of weights, negative one, two, and negative three. Uh, a, a list of three weights. Just repeat again, negative one, two, negative three. 
And now, according to fast gradient sign method, here is how we will construct our perturbation matrix. For each weight, if the weight is negative, we will choose the negative value for our perturbation matrix. If it is positive, we will choose the positive value. So now let's go through our weight matrix. So the first weight is negative one. Negative one is a negative number. So our perturbation for it will be negative 0.1. The second weight two is positive. So we will choose the positive perturbation, that's 0.1. The last weight, the third one is negative three. That is negative, so we will also choose the negative uh, perturbation. So our perturbation matrix ends up being negative 0 0.1, 0 0.1, negative 0 0.1. Now, if we multiply the perturbation matrix by the input, uh, I'm sorry, by the weight matrix, right? Then we get negative 1 times negative 0 0.1 is 0 0.1. Uh, 2 times 0 0.1 is 0 0.2. Negative 3 times negative 0 0.1 is 0 0.3. So our, our final uh, kind of weighted, uh, weighted perturbations are 0 0.1, 0 0.2, and 0 0.3. When we add that, we get a perturbed sum of 0 0.6. So what is actually happening here is that once we have that perturbed sum, we can essentially add that to the normal sum. And that is how much it is screwing up the predictions of the of the uh, of the linear model. Uh, so essentially, what's happening here is that when we're constructing this perturbation matrix, we're essentially multiplying the weight by its own sign, and that results in taking the absolute value essentially. Uh, and so when we do that, uh, what ends up happening happening is that you are pushing all the numbers in the same direction, right? Because when you're summing things up, uh, the best way to create a very large uh, number is if all of them are positive. So this method of multiplying by, uh, by the sign, essentially, is very effective because it operates by this principle. If you want to go far, make sure you're pushing in the same direction. For instance, if you and your friend want to push a big rock somewhere, you should not push it against each other, but you should both push in the same direction. So fast gradient sign method does just this. It makes sure that all the numbers in the resulting matrix after the perturbed matrix and the weight matrix are multiplied are positive. This means that they point in the same direction. And when we add them up, they get the largest number possible. And once they get that very large perturbation, uh, we can add that to the normal sum. And once that is passed through the final activations and, and whatnot, it ends up com completely throwing, uh, throwing out the, the, the model's sense of understanding. So just to reiterate, the fundamental idea behind a fast gradient sign method is that very small changes in a linear model add up to a very large impact. Even though each of the values in the perturbation matrix is either a positive very small number or a negative very small number, when they are all pointed in the same direction and they all get summed up, the entire model gets screwed over. All right, so this might be a little bit uh, too abstract or theoretical. So let's go over some very interesting uh, empirical results uh, that these authors got when applying a fast gradient sign method. A shallow classifier 
was made to have a 99.9% error rate with an average confidence of 79.3%. Another network misclassifies 89.4% of adversarial examples with an average confidence of 97.6%. This is very intriguing, I think. Uh, This pattern of having a huge error rate and models being very confident in their wrong answers is a big problem. We don't even know uh, if we don't check for ourselves if the model is making the right decision or not. Usually, we can rely on the uh, the, the kind of confidence of a network to determine uh, how 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 confident it is in its predictions. Here, uh, it is having huge confidence. It's very confident in its answers, and the answers are wrong. So a big problem. All right. So why is this now? How can these networks be super confident in their wrong answers? Well, remember that small changes and tweaks when all summed together, uh, when all pointing in the same direction, have a big impact. In our example, we only had three values, right? Three weights that got summed up. Imagine the thousands, the tens of thousands, the hundreds of thousands of pixels uh, in an image, a big image. These are all small changes that are all adding up. And when these changes get added up, uh, it not only makes the network change its decision about the class that it falls in, let's say, but it makes such a large impact that it actually makes the entire network not only change its decision about the class, but also be very confident in that wrong decision, kind of pushes it super far. And what is... um, very interesting is that these adversarial examples can be generated very cheaply, very easily. Uh, the, the actual fast gradient assigned method, um, it's a teeny bit more com- uh, more more complex than as was de- uh, described here, but nevertheless, very simple. The main aspect is that that signed method, very cheap to calculate, uh, very cheap to generate. They can be generated super easily. This is, uh, I think, a big problem. And so the natural next step to take is, how can we make models more resistant? Well, the natural answer, I think, is adversarial training, where you you train the model on perturbed inputs, uh, train the model on adversarial examples. Training on adversarial examples is somewhat like data augmentation, uh, but it is still different. Usually, one augments the data with transformations, uh, such as translations, or maybe rotations that are expected to occur in the test set. However, adversarial uh, examples use inputs that are unlikely to occur naturally, right? Because they're being kind of adversarial in their attack, uh, but that nevertheless expose flaws in the way that the model uh, draws up its decisions. Uh, so. Adversarial training, however, does act like some sort of regularization, right? Uh, When the model is trained on adversarial examples, it becomes somewhat resistant. Uh, The error rate uh, of 89.4% falls down to 17.9% with adversarial training. So that's a very, very big uh, decrease. Nevertheless, uh, 17.9% is still concerning in terms of an error rate. And... When the model does misclassify an adversarial example, it is very confident in its wrong answer. The average confidence is 81%. Uh, 
And actually, uh, we can understand this a little bit. Uh, as as a, a model, it's pretty difficult to, to consider uh, exactly what we're doing here. We're using the sine function. Essentially, for all inputs less than 0, we return negative 1. Uh, for all inputs bigger than 0, we return positive 1, or some something along that lines. If we just think of this visually, and how you would take the derivative of this, the sine function has a derivative of 0, or undefined, in the case of x equals 0, everywhere. The derivative is either 0 or undefined. So in terms of gradient descent, exactly where do you go from here? Right? It, it's, it's pretty difficult. So these authors find that these perturbations are especially prone to more linear models because they generalize more easily. When they generalize, they are more stable. And when they are more stable, the simple fast gradient sign method of generating adversarial examples is also stable and hence becomes very effective. Consider the RBF network or the, the, the radial basis function network. RBFs are highly, highly, very nonlinear functions. Uh, and they're used to measure distance, in a sense. You can think of an RBF network uh, sort of like a KNN, or the k-nearest neighbors algorithm. How the RBF network works is that it stores several prototypes, or essentially training examples. Then it uses RBFs to compute the distance between the input and each prototype to see which prototype the input is most similar to. And then the predicted class is just whatever class the prototype is. If you think of this like KNN, which it basically is, this is a very, very nonlinear algorithm. And it does not uh, usually generalize very well. However, the authors found that a shallow RBF network is very resistant to adversarial examples uh, it, in the sense that it uh, correctly has low confidence on adversarial examples it predicts incorrectly. However, uh, it is uh, the, the, the non-generalizable nature of RBF networks means that for practical purposes, they are uh, not used very much. So when the adversarial example has trouble, right? Let's say gaining coverage or ground uh, on this very wild and unstable, very nonlinear territory of RBF networks, it is also true that this very aspect of RBF networks not generalizing well makes them difficult to use in the real world. Asking, essentially, in this perspective, asking a, a, a model to both perform well and to be resistant to adversarial uh, inputs is wanting them to generalize, but also not to generalize. Uh, this is a very interesting observation about adversarial attacks that I think makes them very tricky. They are the strongest in the, uh, in, in the strongest models. If the model is easy to train in terms of performance, it is also easy to generalize. Uh, it, it is also easy to generate adversarial inputs. So uh, they went through a few more things, but as a recap, uh, I think this is a pretty dense paper, uh, but very interesting. So here are some of the key points. Adversarial examples can be explained as a property of high-dimensional uh, high dimensional uh, operations. They are a result of models being too linear rather than too nonlinear. 
the direction of perturbation rather than a specific point in space matters the most. What we care about is that all the directions line up in the same direction for the most impact. And that works regardless of whatever input you put in. So there have been some proposals that weakness uh, and perturbation, uh, that, that weaknesses caused by perturbation are not because of like a weak boundary, maybe, uh, if a model does not have enough training data in one area, uh, but instead uh, the, the direction is what matters, which direction you're moving in. Uh, next, models that are easy to optimize are easy to attack adversarially. The ease of optimization comes at the cost of models being easily attacked. Then, here's, I think, what is very interesting. The authors propose, maybe, that these models could be arguably intrinsically flawed. They are overly confident at points that do not occur in the data distribution because of their generalization, and hence are easily exploited by adversarial attacks. So, the authors suggest that developing optimization procedures that train models to be more locally stable instead of making while the global changes that end up uh, causing those high confidences in areas where, the, where there isn't, there, there shouldn't be that high confidence, uh, they suggest that as a potential avenue for change. However, uh, I think the, the very interesting proposal that they bring about these models being intrinsically flawed, about this dilemma, we both want it to generalize and not to generalize. Well, uh, Next, we will investigate what some other authors are saying, uh, and I think we will see some interesting uh, disagreement in, the, uh, in this adversarial uh, field. And I think that'll be really interesting to, to see, to compare and contrast uh, perspectives. So we'll take a very quick break, and I'll see you on the other side. All right, so we are back. Uh, we will now be covering uh, some of the other papers. We just finished with a paper by a good fellow and colleagues that introduced the fast gradient sign method, very interesting, and proposed that adversarial attacks may be exposing a dilemma in machine learning, uh, which is that uh, models that perform well generalize well. Also, models that generalize well seem to be more prone to adversarial attacks. So between 2015, which is when that paper was published, and 2019, uh, which will be the date uh, that our uh, last paper uh, was published, uh, previous research proposes a variety of attack and defense mechanisms for these adversarial uh, settings. Let's quickly go over two of these. So we have a paper by Nicholas Papernot and colleagues titled Distillation as a Defense to Adversarial per Perturbations Against Deep Neural Networks. This is a 2016 paper. So defensive distillation is essentially an adversarial training technique that adds flexibility to an algorithm's classification process so that the model is less prone to exploitation. In distillation training, you have two models. The first is trained on hard labels, like one or zero. This is like the, the, the normal process uh, of training. However, a second model is trained to predict the output probabilities of the first model. So uh, here's a quote from that paper that I think explains their rationale well. Begin quote. 
Our intuition is that knowledge extracted by distillation in the form of probability vectors and transferred in smaller networks to maintain accuracies comparable with those of larger networks can also be beneficial to improving generalization capabilities of deep neural networks outside of their training dataset and therefore enhances their resilience to perturbations. End quote. So they're arguing that training a model not around hard, hard classes, but instead uh, more softer information allows for a, uh, a more specific and less hard boundary to be drawn. It allows for more real and true generalization beyond simply the realm of the training set. And this is suggesting that adversarial attacks are effective because they exploit generalizations the model makes in areas that it does not have much data with and that it can be wrong. So you may notice that this, um, this goes pretty hand in hand with what Goodfellow and colleagues in the first paper uh, were, were hinting at might be, uh, might be the, 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 the place for which the part of the model that makes adversarial attacks effective. However, it must be said that in recent developments, uh, it ha there have been some papers that have argued that defensive distillation is actually not that effective. Um, however, I think that we can forgive this a little bit because this was still a pretty early paper in the development of adversarial attacks and defense. Our second paper will be on uh, a, a, a technique called feature squeezing. And this was introduced in a paper by the authors Weilin Shu, David Evans, and Yanjun Xi. So feature squeezing essentially reduces the search space available by squeezing out unnecessary input features. So how they identify adversarial inputs is they compare the model's prediction on the original sample with its prediction on the sample after it has been squeezed. If the original and squeezed inputs produce very different results, then the input is likely to be adversarial. Uh, you can think of squeezing uh, as just reducing the dimensionality of the data. Uh, in reality, it's a little bit more intricate than that. For instance, the authors test reducing the color depth of each pixel in an image, or using smoothing to reduce differences between individual pixels. And this is seeking to reduce, uh, in a sense, the harshness of the boundaries. If the original and squeezed inputs produced very different results, then the original input likely relied on a very harsh and poorly drawn boundary that the squeezed input smoothed out. And this likely makes that input adversarial. Um, it has been tested that this also significantly enhances the robustness of the model and functions as a relatively accurate detector for adversarial examples. All right. So, um, very interesting, I think, to compare these two developments with Goodfellow uh, at the very beginning with that paper. Fundamentally, I think they are all agreeing on a general notion of where adversarial inputs are coming from. However, they all take, I think, uh, nuanced differences um, in how they approach it. Regardless, 
this brings us to our last paper. And this is done in 2019, four years after uh, the first paper we talked about. Uh, fairly recent, I would say. So it should be interesting to see what has changed uh, in the discourse. This article is titled, Towards Deep Learning Models Resistant to Adversarial Attacks uh, by Alexandri, Alexander, Alexander Madri and colleagues at MIT. So between 2015 and 2019, there had emerged research suggesting that adversarial attacks were an inherent weakness of models. Uh, so these authors state that the development uh, that developments like defensive distillation and feature squeezing, as we talked about before, are good beginnings to explore the realm of possibilities for defenses, but they do not guarantee anything. We cannot be certain uh, that a certain mechanism prevents the existence of an entire class of adversarial attacks. So this paper is an attempt to study the adversarial robustness of neural networks through a little bit of a different lens, through the lens of optimization of model parameters. And through this view, they actually argued that it is quite possible to achieve a secure neural network immune to attacks from an entire class of adversaries. So um, just to reiterate, uh, this paper is essentially saying, all right, we have these kind of very scattered uh, approaches to to preventing adversarial attacks or to also, for instance, in, in the example of feature squeezing, which serves as a good example of identifying and constructing adversarial inputs, they have these very scattered notions. But we're going to assemble them somehow into a more universal method of approaching adversarial attacks such that we can have a method that prevents all adversaries in a given class of adversaries. And we'll develop what this means a little bit further. Uh, and if that is possible, then it may actually pre present evidence against the idea that adversarial attacks are an inherent weakness of deep learning models, as I think was kind of hinted by, by Goodfellow in the first uh, paper. So, uh, these, these authors formulate two problems, a maximization problem and a minimization problem. The maximization problem is finding adversarial examples. What is the data point X that achieves a very high loss? This is the problem of how to attack a neural network. The minimization is finding parameters so that the uh, quote-unquote adversarial loss is minimized. So the minimization problem, these authors say, is tied to the maximization problem. If we are able to answer the maximization problem, right, how to find the best, uh, the most reliable way to generate an adversary, then we can train our model against the maximization problem, against these perfect uh, general adversaries to derive a solution to the minimization problem. So specifically, they study a form of gradient descent uh, called a projected gradient descent, which is essentially gradient descent, but with a constraint uh, on which inputs that can be used for optimization. You can use projected gradient descent to find a local maximum in the maximization problem. Uh, as a side note, this is technically gradient 
ascent, so going up instead of descent, going down, um, because we're trying to find the maximum here. Uh, for for now, we'll just call it gradient descent because that is sort of the common parlance in how to refer to it. You can also think of, of projected gradient descent as a smarter version of fast gradient sign method in generating um, the the adversarial inputs uh, by trying to somehow uh, find the the best direction or area to move uh, in the kind of gradient landscape. The authors run several uh, empirical experiments, uh, quite a few that are quite technical. But I think the important conclusion is that they say all of this evidence uh, from the experiments points towards projected gradient descent being a universal adversary among first-order approaches. What does this mean? So a first-order approach for adversarial attacks is when the adversarial attacker has access to the gradient of the network. And this is how most adversarial attacks work. The authors position the projected gradient descent as the universal adversary of all first-order approaches. If a model can defend against projected gradient descent, it can defend against uh, all first-order approaches. Uh, and also zero-order approaches. So zero-order approaches are adversaries without knowledge of the gradient and only knowledge of the general architecture of the network. So uh, they prove that, that they prove this assertion uh, empirically and theoretically. Um, but yes, to put things shortly, projected gradient descent is a very real and concrete embodiment of a universal attacker. It's universal because it can help us find a model universally resistant to adversaries or this entire class of, of first order and, and zero order adversaries. So the main value that this paper brings is making the notion of a universally robust model more concrete in the form of providing this uh, universal attacker, projected gradient descent. All right, so let's come back to the question that we had at the beginning and do a little bit of a summary. Our question was, how can a neural network be tricked into thinking that a picture of panda of a panda is a picture of a gibbon when humans can't tell the difference. Well, that uh, that experiment actually came from the fast gradient sign method experiment, where after running uh, FGSM on an image of a panda, uh, the model was very confident, over ninety five percent, I believe, confident. Uh, that the picture of a panda was actually a picture of a gibbon. To a human, there is no distinguishable difference. Uh, but as was mentioned before, because of the many, many small, uh, small, small changes adding up to a very large sum, it completely threw off the the um, network. So we have discussed uh, the fast gradient sign method as a very effective way of of doing this sort of adversarial attack. You can not only make a model wrong, but very confident in its wrong prediction. The main takeaways from that paper are that the adversarial attacks are the result of too much generalization. I do this by tricking the most generalized model, uh, which is the linear model. They, uh, they assert that the easier it is to train the model, the more difficult it is to combat adversarial attacks. 
They also hint that it may not be possible to have a model resistant to adversarial attacks that is also practical in its performance. Then, we look at two methods for defense against adversarial attacks, which are defensive distillation and feature squeezing, which both have kind of similar rationales as was given uh, in the fast gradient sign method paper. Uh, however, a little bit, a little bit different, although still based in the, in the same core ideas. Lastly, we looked at a paper proposing projected gradient descent as a universal adversary for all first order uh, and below adversaries, uh, and claiming that a model generally resistant to projected gradient descent can be resistant to all these other attacks, including, for instance, fast gradient sign method, because that is that falls into the class of one of first or below adversaries. Because projected gradient descent is a very explicit mechanism, it's not some sort of very abstracted idea of the ideal, op uh, the ideal adversary. Future research should have an easier time finding a model resistant to PGD. Um, we found that uh, in the fast gradient sign method, remember that adversarial training is possible, uh, just brute adversarial training, uh, is possible and significantly reduces the error rate on adversarial inputs. Um, however, it may be true that a model resistant to projected gradient descent may not necessarily be a good model, which would also affirm what the authors in the first paper, Fast Gradient Sign Method, are talking about. Fundamentally, this is a very quickly growing, I think, subfield of machine learning. And there are, uh, as you can probably tell, uh, I think pretty complex disagreements in these approaches. And a lot of, I think, the, the debate in this field uh, relies on fundamental intuitions. How do you view the nature of deep learning models and ge generalization to be? Regardless, it remains a very important and interesting question. And I'm sure that uh, further research will better solidify our understanding of these adversaries and how to defend against them. All right, that is it. Thanks for being here with me uh, for this entire time. Feel free to reach out to my LinkedIn. Uh, I also do write articles at uh, Medium. You can find the, me at the URL andre-yi.medium.com. Also, I'm excited to announce that this podcast has a website now uh, at papers-on-the-go.ml. Uh, at our website, you can check out links to all our papers and also a quick summary um, of each, which I will post uh, soon. All right. Uh, it was a pleasure being here, and I hope to see you again next week. Bye-bye. Uh,